Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited, so you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. The 90s were a magical time. Um, they were, it was a time where, you know, we were getting a lot of stuff that was like sort of like remade from the 60s. There was a lot, a lot of things were being remade. You know, we think about remakes really in the early 2000s and in the, in the 2010s and yada, yada, yada. But remakes were, happening in the 90s as well just maybe not like in the same way like we had like the Brady Bunch was being remade you know Batman and Robin is essentially an adaptation of Batman 66 you have the shadow you have these these movie you have these properties these IPs whatever you want to call them uh sort of being reimagined but along with that you're also seeing all this really like original imaginative stuff um, we're starting to see comics being adapted for the first time, lots of different comics. And, you know, again, I can't bury the lead because the title of the podcast, you already know what this is about. Matter of fact, I, wrong on me for not having the Wikipedia primed and ready to go as well. So we're going to need the Wikipedia for what we are about to talk about, because I believe the Rocketeer uh, was also based on a comic book that's right from 1982 um, as a backup. Yeah, yeah. As a backup feature in issues number two and three of Mike Grell's Star Slayer. So The Rocketeer started as a comic book that got adapted in the same way that The Shadow was like a radio play or The Phantom. You know, these things kind of like got revamped for the nineties. But um before, you know, before Blade, you know, Blade sort of brought about the modern or the beginning of the modern Marvel film, like where the executives were like, hey, wait a minute, these superheroes can make us a lot of money. Every once in a while you'd get something that would sort of burst through and it was like the closest thing that we would get to a superhero film. Uh, prime, you, you know, you had your Batman movies, but Batman was like a, a flagship A1 blue chip superhero. So, of course, that's going to get ad- ad- adapted and make sense when, you know, it, really the modern superhero film or the semi-modern superhero film goes back all the way to 1978 with Superman the movie, Richard Donner. So people could kind of wrap their minds around this idea of like, oh, yeah, Superman the movie. Oh, yeah, Batman. But, you know, something like Iron Man or Spider-Man or, 
in Captain America. Like, oh, wow, I can't even imagine that being, like, you know, adapted as a big screen blockbuster film. There were some film. You had, like, The Punisher. You had, like, The Punisher, uh, the 1989 Punisher with Dolph Lundgren as The Punisher. You had that weird Captain America film that came out with the Red Skull, and it starts at the beginning in World War II, and, like, the Red Skull, like, gets turned into the Red Skull because there's, like, this really grotesque red rat thing. I don't know. Um, but you'd also get, like I said, you you would, uh, we would, you know, I, I would imagine, try to imagine what a superhero movie, like, would would and could be, and I would use real-life, tangible examples as, you know, sort of like templates for me to project my fantasy onto. And one of those was The Rocketeer. So, you know, I loved The Rocketeer growing up. Phenomenal film. Apparently it was a flop. I, In my mind, it was, it was nothing but a success and something that I always truly enjoyed. Um, and when I thought in my mind, like, what would a big budget, Captain America movie look like it would be the Rocketeer so you know when I used to you know talk with my friends and you know talk talk hot takes and this is pre-2011 that's a very important year very very important year pre-2011 uh you know I would always be like oh my god like could you imagine a Rocketeer like film that, you know, could you imagine a Captain America-like film that, you know, was like the Rocketeer? You know what I mean? That was always the 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 parallel that I would draw. You know, I'd be like, imagine if the guy who did the Rocketeer did a Captain America film. And then the weirdest thing happened. The, the most surreal thing, I've talked about this before in various different ways. The guy who did the Rocketeer film did the Captain America film in 2011. And that's why I say pre-2011, because pre-2011, I could only fantasize. And then 2011 comes, and it's like, whoa, we actually have a Captain America film by the dude who did The Rocketeer. There's no better person. And he, of course, you know, Joe Johnston, he, he knocks it. He knocks it out of the park. He also directed Jurassic Park 3 and Jumanji and a bunch of other stuff. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal director, Joe Johnston. Um, so as I said, but but what was The Rocketeer? And, you know, what primed me to do this episode in the first place? Um, I saw this article on The Nerdist uh, by Kyle Anderson called The Rocketeer Deserves So Much Better. And I couldn't agree more. I haven't even read the article. I decided I was going to read it blind you know, live in the stream right now, which is the plan. That was the whole plan all along. And um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But I wanted to temper the reading of this article by discussing how much I feel like like Rocketeer was a proto big budget Captain America film that we got in the 90s. We didn't even know what we were getting. Here's this guy with a jetpack fighting Nazis and he's fighting this big bad who's like, you know, Timothy Dalton is just a delicious bad guy. 
in in the same vein as like somebody dastardly, like somebody something that Tim Curry would play, but it's played by Timothy Dalton instead, who really like embodies and channels the Errol Flynn style, you know, hero of the 30s who's secretly a double agent. Spoilers if you haven't seen The Rocketeer, a double agent Nazi spy. Oh, wow. You know, um, and, you know, I rewatched it over the summer. We, we, you know, during COVID couldn't go to the movies. So we were projecting movies on a screen on, in the yard. And one of the films we projected was, of course, The Rocketeer. And I'm watching it. And, you know, it's not it's I don't, I don't know if slow is the right word, but it's, you know, it's very pulp. It's a pulp noir. It's much more of a pulp noir than it is a superhero film. And maybe that's why it didn't do so well at the box office. The, the moments of, of herodom, the moments of heroism are phenomenal and, you know, just spectacular. Um, but they are sort of separated and somewhat sandbagged from time to time by these Th this glut of like pulp noir plot and running around and espionage. And we need the, the MacGuffin device happens to be a jetpack that makes the superhero a superhero. You know what I mean? It's pretty freaking cool. When you think about it, it's a pretty cool concept. Um, but uh, some quick history about the Rocketeer before we read this article about the Rocketeer deserving better. The character first appeared in 1982 and is a is an homage to the Saturday matinee serial heroes from the 1930s through the 1950s. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. I might as well just pull it up right now. There we go. You can see here, this is a, a, a more recent, this is from 2011 by Alex Ross. It's weird, weird illustration for Alex Ross, who, who normally does much more. He does like, have you ever seen the Flash Gordon stuff that he does? He did Kingdom Come for DC. Um, the Rocketeer's secret identity is Cliff, is Cliff Secord, a stunt pilot who discovers a mysterious jetpack that allows him to fly. His adventures are set in Los Angeles and New York in 1938, and Stevens gave them a retro nostalgic. Stevens is the guy who invented it, uh, a retro nostalgic feel, uh, influenced by the King of the Rocketmen and Commando Cody movie serials, both Republic Pictures and pinup diva Betty Page. Uh, the character was adapted into the 1991 Walt Disney Pictures film, The Rocketeer, star, uh, directed by Joe Johnston. Um, so the, 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 the plot is, it's 1938 Los Angeles, Cliff Secord, a local racing pilot and barnstormer. I don't know what that means. What's a barnstormer? Let's look that up. Oh, barnstorming was a form of entertainment in which stunt pilots performed tricks either individually or in groups called flying circuses devised to impress uh, people with the skill of pilots and the sturdiness of planes. It became popular in the United States during the roaring twenties. Okay. Did not know that. Uh, so he was a barnstormer. He discovers the rocket pack hidden by two gangsters fleeing the police. When he decides to take it for a spin, his life is turned upside down in more ways than one. No pun intended. Uh, so it appeared, like I said, it appeared in 1982 as backup feature in this other book called Star Slayer from Pacific Comics. Two more installments appeared. Uh, on February 28th, 2009, IDW Publishing announced a hardcover collecting the entire series for the first time. So I didn't know that either. 
so then they did another one, uh, an anthology called The Jetpack Adventures, and that was by IDW in 2014. Pretty cool stuff. Um, uh, I guess that's that really covers that. Let's go to the let's go to the article now. So this is what inspired the whole this this show in the first place. The Rocketeer deserves so much better by Kyle Anderson, April 5th, 2021. This is from the Nerdist. In the post, oh, here we go. They talk about Tim Burton's Batman. Like I said, I'm reading this blind, everybody. I'm reading this blind. Ready. In a post Tim Burton's Batman days, in, in the post Tim Burton's Batman days of the early 90s, it seemed like studios everywhere were searching for their own comic book heroes to send up to the big screen. Most of them ended up being characters from from or set in the 1930s for some reason. Right, You, I, another one that I totally forgot about, Dick Tracy. Warren Beatty did this big budget, beautiful uh, Dick Tracy adaptation. Yeah, Al Pacino plays big, uh, what is it? Big big top, big head or something. With all the, all the Dick Tracy characters, it was perfect for a movie adaptation. And it's like b- these bright, beautiful colors and crazy uh set design uh i haven't watched dick trace in a while it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal comic adaptation you totally check that out warren Beatty stars and directs it and um it's very much in the same vein as the rocketeer as a matter of fact i would that would be the perfect double feature i would i would guys but yeah so they're saying you know in the 90s you have dick tracy the shadow and the phantom uh, old studio heads love themselves some pulp comics, I guess. That's what he's saying. That's what this guy, uh, Kyle, is is talking about. Uh, those movies are fun enough. But in 1991, we got a movie that seemed tailor-made for continued adventures. And it's so true. Full of heart, humor, and Nazi-punching action. We're, of course, talking about The Rocketeer. And that's so. that's the other thing. That's the real crime about the Rocketeer is that this this thing was totally, totally destined to be a franchise. The movie works as like a singular contained story, but clearly at the end, they leave room for, you know, more adventures if one wanted to take them. And it's just a shame that we didn't we didn't get that. It it, it never went down um, because it, it performed so poorly as it says here despite some good reviews the rocketeer was a box office bomb but as the movie's 30th anniversary approaches now we must give it its historic it's heroic due we're here to explain why it holds up and why it absolutely deserved better the rocketeer began right we already read this part the rocketeer began as a comic series in 1982 by author artist Dave Stevens as a hot homage to the 1930s adventure series. Sounds like he might have written that or taken that directly from the Wikipedia. Kind of like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. In fact, the Rocketeers director, Joe Johnston, worked as a VFX artist and director for the first two indie movies, which makes perfect sense because there's there, you know, again, in between these moments of like pulp noir you know, the pulp noir stuff that's going on, all the adventure action pieces totally feel like they're ripped from the DNA of Indiana Jones. It, it makes perfect sense. And frankly, Steven Spielberg, you know, had they not, you know, it's like, oh, maybe they maybe they tried to get Steven Spielberg, but they couldn't. 
you know, Joe Johnston, again, wouldn't have it any other way. But, you know, I, you could totally imagine Steven Spielberg doing The Rocketeer and just n blowing it out of the water had they been able to do it. I mean, look, you can see in these, this little picture within picture, the beautiful sets He's gliding on the plane right there. It's just wonderful. Truly wonderful. I love that. I love that leather, that leather jacket thing that he wears with the buttons. It's kind of like the uh the western, the western look a little bit. Um in any case, yeah. And the and the Nazi pack, the the pack was designed or no, no, no. You know what it was? It was designed by Howard Hawks. And the Nazis wanted it for the war effort. They wanted to make these flying, you know, SS soldiers. And the Errol Flynn character is trying to get the pack and the plans. And then you have this Rondo type guy with the with the the big face that that mug. Oh my God, he's phenomenal. Um, I don't know why. I don't know what they call him, but he's kind of like a Rondo, Rondo sort of character, like you know the Rondo Awards. Um, so Disney had initially wanted to set the movie in contemporary times, uh, Johnston and wait, blah, Johnston argued to keep it set in the thirties, which was, I agree, pure genius. The time period of pre world war II Hollywood jumps off the screen in the rocketeer, uh, just like the comics. The movie places its hero, stunt pilots Cliff Secord, played by Billy Campbell, great casting, uh, at the center of a much larger plot. And it's a complicated one, too, involving Tommy gun toting gangsters, experimental science, and the actual worst villains in modern history, the Nazis. People like Indiana Jones, they ought to have loved the Rocketeer. And, you know, another, another like, like a shame that that Indiana Jones and the Rocketeer have never teamed up. Like we've never had a, that team up. I would love to see that happen. You could totally imagine the adventures of the Rocketeer and Indiana Jones taking on the Nazis who have some sort of, you know, occult artifact and yada, yada, yada. You could even throw Hellboy in there. Could you imagine a three-way crossover between Hellboy Indiana Jones and the Rocketeer, it would just work. I mean, you, there's your, there's your, a, a, a superhero team if I ever, ever heard one, you know, uh, and throw in the Phantom and the Shadow. Oh my God, we're getting carried away. Might as well throw in the whole kitchen sink. Why not? Uh, in addition to getting the time period just right, the Rocketeer also brings in allusions to real-life people. These are references I never understood as a kid, but now as an old movie dork, they feel so obvious. And I think, I'm sure he's about to mention Howard Hawks right now. The villain, oh, well, he talks about uh, uh, Neville Sinclair's the name of the villain. Great name, too, Neville Sinclair. That's the Timothy Dalton character. Uh, is a matinee idol and adventure hero in the vein of Errol Flynn, right? Captain Blood from the 30s, you know? Uh, his henchman, the gargantuan Lothar, is just straight up supposed to look like the distinctive-looking character actor Rondo Hatton. Hatton is most famous for a character called the Creeper in the 1940s movies like House of Horrors and The Brute Man. Yeah, and then they they named an awards after Rondo, after this Rondo guy. Um, 
And yeah, that I mean, it's just so well done. What a great nod. It's just such a great nod. And I've never seen those those old movies. Yo, what's up, yeet bitch? How you doing? That team... <laughs> he says, that team makes my loins froth. Me too, man. Me effing too. I agree. As for uh, real people, we see actors saying screen legends in Clark Gable and W.C. Fields in the South Sea... Sees club scene right there's that that's that where they have the giant clam and you know uh jennifer conley is doing the the song and dance which is very popular back then you go to a, the club and you'd have the, the the gorgeous singer um uh singing on the stage they do it uh, with madonna in in uh dick tracy as well uh she's she's that sort of um archetype as well um which is some fun buff stuff, but your big real person appearance comes in the form of film producer, aviation genius, and known weirdo, How not Howard Hawks, Howard Hughes, as played, well, yeah, Howard Hawks, um, as played by Terry O'Quinn, who does, a, he's just phenomenal. And he's also like a pseudo uh, Howard Stark, Tony Stark's father, which we would kind of see in Captain America, the, the first Avenger. In the story, Hughes is an inventor of the rocket pack and is behind the effort to get it away from Sinclair and the Nazis. Eventually, Hughes is also the provider of all the plot details. He shows our heroes a truly amazing German propaganda cartoon about what would happen if the Third Reich had the rocket for themselves. This should be so much longer because it's so awesome. It is. It's a great scene. Uh, such a memorable, fun way to like, you know, they, they raise the stakes. You know, they let us know what's at stake. You know, the Nazis could, you know, when the, the war is brewing, it's 1938. They don't, the World War II has not erupted yet. But, you know, should the Nazis get a hold of this jetpack, it could just spell certain doom for everybody. So it's, it's you know, it's a big deal. It's, it's really a big deal. But all of this is just fun window dressing. What makes The Rocketeer so endlessly enjoyable comes down to the characters. Cliff Secord is your typical good-hearted lunkhead who just can't seem to tell his girlfriend Jenny exactly how he feels. Nailed it. Right, This writer nails that perfectly. That's exactly what's going on. And it doesn't have to... That's all you need. You know what I mean? That's all you need for your your hero in the situation. I love that they called him a good heart. He is, he's a lunk. He's a bit of a lunkhead. Um, even though he's impossibly handsome, despite the Brendan Fraser hair drapes, he feels like an underdog and maybe he's a little too good looking. Maybe that's his problem. As a matter of fact, Brendan Fraser would have been perfect for this role because even though Brendan Fraser does have like a square draw, uh, a square jaw hero look that he would embody in stuff like the mummy, he also is kind of a goofy doofus. And you can imagine that the Rocketeer being a stunt pilot and dashing also is kind of a goofy doofus. Another person who would have been great as the Rocketeer would have been Bruce Campbell. I could totally see Bruce Campbell with some wisecracking, you know, uh, you know, uh, stunt, stunt driving, you know, goofy slapstick going on, you know, just doing what he does best uh, as he straps a jetpack on his back, you know. Um, he's so naive about anything but piloting. And that's the truth, man. That is the truth. 
you know, when it's when it comes time to navigate the skies, Cliff is just like, you know, he could do it like the, from the back of his hand. But like, you know, when it comes to just like simple things, like not simple, I guess they're kind of complicated, too. But when it comes to stuff like dating, he's just like he's a dunce. He, he can't now he can navigate the airplanes, but not the the women uh, that did not come out right. I take that back. Let's pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know what I mean. Navigate relationships with women. That's what I meant to say. Um, we side with Cliff because he has dreams. Who among us hasn't had dreams? Remember dreams? I remember dreams. I, Man, I still got them. I got plenty of them. You know, that's why I'm here talking to you. Uh, by the way, if you're just joining us, please make sure to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Uh, check this podcast out. on. This will also be on Spotify and all your podcast places. I'm not really into it tonight. Um, the Rocketeers mix of Alfred and Lucius Fox is Peavy. Uh, the crack engineer played by Alan Gosh Darn Arkin. Um, I don't know. Lucius Fox, who, you know, he's there when he when he's referring to Lucius Fox, who's from Batman. He's from, you know, he's the C one of the one of the CFOs of of goff of uh wayne enterprises or whatever he's really referring to morgan friedman in the the christopher nolan universe was it played by morgan fried was morgan friedman in that oh my god am i making that up who plays lucius fox now i gotta check wow i'm gonna feel like a real dummy if i'm wrong about that who plays um the dark night let's find out wow am i just like <laughs> am i just not i'm not firing on oh he says yeah yeet bitch says he was okay okay just, yes yes okay i was like really scared there for a minute i was like am i just like not thinking correctly today um yeah lucius fox a yeet i don't know if you agree with me or not um, but I don't think, I don't think PV works as, he's not Lucius Fox, man. He's not, he's definitely a little bit of Alfred. He's like, um, but he's also like an absent-minded professor. He's like, you know, he's a crack engineer, but he's just kind of like, uh, uh, I, I guess he, Lucius Fox works for the example. If you're thinking about the Nolan Batman movies, but not really from, from an overarching, character perspective he's not a lucius fox I, that's something i disagree with uh, i'm gonna go ahead and say alan arkin is the best thing in any movie i don't know about that literally movies he's not even in he's the best here he has the movie's best line like a hood ornament um i guess he's referring to the 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 fin that because that's part of the rocketeer's problem he puts on a helmet or he gets the jetpack, but they can't get you know the and it's the same thing with i think howard hughes talks about this too they have problems with you know um steering they can't navigate with with the jetpack on so to fix this they figure out if i put a fin if he puts a fin on his helmet then he can navigate the airways, the the, the skyways with um, with 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 the fin on his head, and I think that's what he means when he says like an ornament. Jennifer Connelly's Jenny is one of those too good for our hero, but she still doesn't care. Girlfriend characters uh, that could feel really dated in 2021, but she also ends up being the most important character. 
the one who the enti- whom the entire plot hinges. She's the one who learns Neville Sinclair's a Nazi. She's not anywhere near the kind of movie heroines comic book movies have these days, but she has far more agency than the typical damsel. Uh, once again, totally agree. She absolutely has agency in this film, and it's because of the information that she learns. Uh, she's an actress, and she's like in the background, and then Neville takes an interest in her. I forget why. Um, I know I just watched this movie over the summer. I already forgot. So she's kind of like, you know, between um, Cliff and Neville, and he's, you know, he's like a, a handsome movie star who's kind of like seducing her, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, the movie really does a great thing by focusing on fascism and Nazis as the ultimate evil. It's not merely that Neville Sinclair is a greedy a-hole. He's also a traitor and a spy. At the end of the movie, even Eddie Valentine's mob, this is a great scene. You got the feds and you got the mob are both, you know, um, about to go up against each other with their Tommy guns and yada, yada, yada with the jetpack and Cliff, Cliff in the jetpack and Jenny are in the middle. And then all of a sudden, Neville comes out of nowhere with his Nazis and suddenly the mob, Paul Servino, played by Paul Servino, plays the, uh, the mobster, um, realize that they've been working with the Nazis and they team up with the feds. So the feds and the gangsters who are sworn enemies in any sort of fiction, right? Uh, suddenly, you know, become, um, you know, allies against the Nazis. I, it's such a great scene. And then there's a, a giant shootout and it's wonderful because you just see uh, feds and gangsters teaming up to just kick some Nazi ass. And then, of course, the big Led Zeppelin balloon comes and they climb up the ladder, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You know, the mob had been, who have been a thorn in our hero's side for most of the movie turn against Sinclair when they figure out his true aim. Hell, the feds and the gangsters even team up in the final shootout because they're fighting Nazis. Everybody hates Nazis. It's great. It really is great. Um, it's, it's a lesson that we, frankly, we need more of today and what's, uh, and what's left of praise, but the action, the rocketeer set pieces have tons and tons of energy and don't rely on the frenetic cutting of modern movie action flicks. Dude, this writer is just nailing it. It's so true. It's so true. However, I stand by what I said about like these action sequences are, spaced out too much like it does it's the 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 pacing is clunky the pacing is a little clunky at least for most it's about a hundred minutes and it really could stand to lose about 10 of those minutes maybe even 15 of those minutes and then you know once you know the last 30 or 40 minutes it really just cooks the whole thing cooks it just really picks up and uh, it just takes a while to really, truly, you know, get going. And that's part of the Rocketeers, you know, folly and, and why it, 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 it failed, even though it didn't deserve to fail at the box office. Um, the car chase between the feds and the mob, the airplane stunts, the admittedly silly rocket journey through the club. The shootout between the Nazis and the feds and the mob, the explosive finale above the the Nazi Zeppelin, they're all big classic sequence where you know exactly what's happening in 
to whom. And again, it could only, you know, be helmed by a dude who who worked on something like Indiana Jones. So there you go. The Rocketeer deserved a much bigger reception when it came out because it did everything right by the source material in adapting it to a larger family audience. It kept it kept the iconic bits, cut out the more salacious elements. It represents maybe the best job Disney has ever done at modifying without gutting. Huh? Huh? Yeah. And Joe Johnston proved so adept at this time period that he was pretty much the best and only choice to direct Captain America, the first Avenger, 20 years later. Uh, if only we lived in a world where the Rocketeer spawned a series of movies where he became as big as Batman or the Indiana Jones. But alas, it was not meant to be. At least we still have the first movie. Happy 30th to the Rocketeer. Kyle Anderson is the senior editor for The Nerdist. You can find his film and TV reviews uh, on thenerdist.com. And, you know, like, again, like, you know, he, the dude is spot on when, when it comes to this with what everything that he said, pretty much. And it's a shame that we didn't get a franchise. We deserved a franchise and we didn't get it. So, you know, and... And the the thing, the other thing that's really great. Sorry, I hit a pothole here. <laughs> Just totally hit a pothole. Um, the other thing that is really spectacular at, to bookend this conversation um, is how it captured a comic book nerd nerd's imagination, or just anybody who's into comics, because again in a time where you couldn't imagine a big budget sprawling epic like Captain America, the first Avenger, you'd go, oh, if they made it, it would have to be like the Rocketeer. And that's what like the Rocketeer was. You know what I mean? In the same way, and I know this is going to sound really dumb now. It sounds really dumb post-2015 when we got uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead on Stars. Hey, what's up, Mr. Red? How you doing? Thanks for joining us. Um, it, it, this sounds really stupid, but at the at a time, you know, when when Sam Raimi was done with horror completely and wasn't going to return to the world of Evil Dead, um, you know, uh, Drag Me to Hell came out, and you know, obviously it has nothing to do with Evil Dead, but in a weird kind of way, I always kind of thought of Drag Me to Hell is like Evil Dead 4, like a spinoff of Evil Dead 4. And it was the closest thing we were going to get to the elusive Evil Dead 4, primarily the, that scene at the end in the cemetery. That's what we had to, that's all we had as fans of that fandom. And so that's what The Rocketeer was in the same way. It's like, until we got that Captain America film, all we had was The Rocketeer. And what a thing to have. It's not, you know... Mr. Red says, Rocketeer, I'm I'm this movie really awesome. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but hey, I I'll 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 take it. I'll agree I'll agree with that. Um Yeah. So if there's something that you in particular want me to talk about in the future, let me know. I will totally do it. A couple of updates real quick. Uh, just finished the third tape of the Bobby Steele interview. 
so glad to have that uh, almost finished, almost done, so I can move on to the Joey Image interview. Um, the Screaming Jay Hawkins video, still just working away at it. Can't wait to unveil it. Hope it's going to be, you know, everything and all, all this and more, yada, yada, yada. And stay tuned for the Devil Lock pageant next week. Um, this was a really short episode. It feels good to just sort of get in and get out. I don't have to, you know, go for hours and hours and hours. You know, this is what I used to do. I used to try and do this every single day and just do it for like a 30 minutes a day. You know, that's all you need to do. So, uh, if you guys find any articles that are interesting that we could talk about on here, you know, send that to me as well. Mr. Red says, excuse me. What I meant to say was Rocketeer. I remember this movie and it was really awesome and still is. I, dude. You and me both, man. It's a gr it's a great friggin' film. And you know what makes me want to revisit? I want to revisit Dick Tracy, and I want to revisit The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. I think it's on HBO Max right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try and check that out. In any case, Mister Red, have a wonderful Friday, Yeet bitch. I'm, I think you might have left, so you have a wonderful Friday as well. Um, I'll be broadcasting sooner than later, I'm sure. Until I see you next time, that's peace and hair grease.